Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. This morning, Ephesians 2, we're going to wrap up this chapter in our journey through the letter to the Ephesians, and we'll do this all the way through November 22nd, and then we'll pick up a a new series called Advent, the Advent of Christ, as we lead into Christmas, which is coming up, uh, crazily coming up in in just two and a half months or so. I don't know how many of you um, have kids, or when you were a kid, your family was like this, but um, whenever Meredith or I, whenever we go to run an errand or have to run to Dollar General because we forgot something at Publix and there's nothing close to us except for a Dollar General. We love Dollar General, but I'd rather go to Publix. Uh, You know, we'll have to go by ourselves and I have a little bit of codependency and so I wanna take somebody with me. I don't like being alone and I wanna take one of our kids with us and we have three kids. We have an 11-year-old, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and um, what I like to do when I take one of the children with me is that um, I like to buy them something because I want them to love me forever. And so, uh, um, you know, if we go into the grocery store or to Dollar General or a gas station and the great marketing gurus that put all the candy at eye level for a four-year-old, um, they, it works every time. And so Landry or my four-year-old will say, oh, can I have some candy? And I'll say, yes, baby, just tell me you love me. And then she'll say, I love you. And I say, tell me I'm the best dad ever. And she'll say it. And then, um, but what, without fail, what happens is when we get back home, um, what was supposed to be a moment of just intimate affection between me and my daughter or me and one of my sons uh, turns into leverage for them. And they remind their siblings that they did not get to go with that and they did not get to get candy. They did not get to get an icy. Um, and they must not be dad's favorite because I am and look what I got. Um, I don't know if you have family like that or if you were raised in a house like that, um, but what, what was meant to be, again, just intimate affection between me and one of my children turns into competition uh, between them. What I would love to have, to have happen is if I take Landry, our four-year-old, and I get her some candy and she comes home and she says, oh, guys, you should go with dad next time. It's so great. It's so great to be with dad because even without the candy, he's just the best. And I just, I like spending time with him. And what, that's what the intent is that it creates such a connection that the other children um, would want that as well. Not because of me, but the same thing is true for us when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to our faith. There are moments in life where the Lord takes us with him to the grocery store, takes us with him to the gas station. And we have these intimate moments with him. And they're not all the time. Like sometimes it's, it's just life. And then there are those moments when he picks us up and just holds us a little bit closer. It's, it's when you're clothed with the Holy Spirit is how the Bible would describe that. And the point is, is not that we would feel better than other people, not that we would feel more loved than other people, but that we would know God so intimately and we would know the generosity of God so intimately that we would want to invite everyone else into that. But instead, what happens is we have those moments and then we try to figure out why everyone else doesn't do that. Well, it must be because you have this sin in your life. It must be because you aren't as good as I am. And that that happens. And it happens for us in the church today, but it's happened for generations, even back to um, Jewish believers in the New Testament, and particularly um, Jews, the chosen priesthood of, of God in the Old Testament. What was meant to be his election of them to drive them to be the evidence of his grace turned into something that made them feel elitist, it made them feel better than everyone else. 
And maybe that's your experience with church. Maybe you're drawn to something about God, but it just feels like um, all his kids talk about is how they got to go to the gas station with him and you didn't. Maybe you are on the outside. You're what we're gonna read is called, you feel far off from God. And it feels like the ones that claim to be nearer to God are the ones that have hostility that keep you from coming near to the Lord. And I know in my own journey as a follower of Jesus, I have been that older brother. I have been that person. And we're gonna study this morning and um, Laura, we're just gonna have to make some changes. Thank you to our team up there in the booth. You guys are awesome with all you've had to handle this morning. The band likes it. Um, so let's just, let's go to Ephesians chapter two. I want you to keep some of that in mind. I'm gonna give you a picture here of the temple. So this is the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. This is the second building of it. In, in 70 AD, it would be destroyed and then we wouldn't see it again. But Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus in like 61 or 62 AD. So this temple is still standing. This is just a replica of the, what's called the Temple Mount. On the left, you've got porches or a portico. In Acts, we read about Solomon's porch where a man is healed and he comes in dancing. That happens there on the left-hand side. In the middle is the actual temple. Everything outside of that is what's called the court of the Gentiles. We're gonna read about Gentiles and Jews. And in the Bible, there's two groups of people. There are Jews, God's chosen people from the line of Abraham all the way through the Old Testament. And then there are Gentiles. And the Greek word for Gentile just means is ethnos or ethnic, essentially meaning everyone except for the Jews. That's the court of the Gentiles. Now inside of that is the temple and you've got that tall building, uh, which is called the holy place. Inside of that is the holy of holies. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's where sacrifices are made by the high priest once a year. One man, the high priest, if he was pure enough and clean enough, could go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people once a year. Uh, and then, so that's the high priest. Then you've got priests. Uh, priest is their role is supposed to be to show the world what God is like. Um, but professional ministers back then uh, became arrogant in their role and they were now just showing people what they were like as opposed to what God was like and they were keeping people at a distance. Again, that was just in the past. That doesn't happen anymore. I'm just saying in the past, professional pastors were that way. Um, and so that's the holy of holies. And the priest then could be outside of there. One high priest could go all the way inside the other priests hung out in the kind of the courtyard of the priests. Then you've got um, the court of, of the Jews or Jewish men would be down those stairs, could be out there. Um, good, God-fearing Jewish men could hang out there. Then outside of the next wall, down at the bottom for us, is where Jewish women could hang out. Now, the high priest could be anywhere, um, but he could go all the way into the Holy of Holies, but these other people could not. As we get further away, you see we're getting further and further away uh, from the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence resided in the temple. Can we go back to that last picture, Laura, the big one? And you'll see again, the court of the Gentiles. And you can kind of make out outside of the temple, you see this small line. It's a lattice gate uh, that would come to be known as the dividing wall. There's stone uh, plaques at every opening of this dividing wall. And along the dividing wall, this plaque would essentially say, for a Gentile to walk through here, he is taking his life into his own hands. If a Gentile passes through uh, these gates, passes through this dividing wall, his death is on his hands. Um, in fact, even, even the Romans who would take over this area would allow the Jews to kill Gentiles in there. So this is all what's happening 
that would come to be known as the dividing wall of hostility. It was a dividing wall, but it created hostility between the Gentiles and the Jews. Jews, God's chosen people, um, but over the course of history would become proud in their chosenness, would become proud in their heritage in such a way then that they were hostile towards the Gentiles, those who were on the outside. And just like us, we become proud of our position, become proud of where we stand in relation to God, and we hold that up. And if we're going to hold that up, then we have to put down people who aren't as, quote unquote, near to God as we are. But then on the flip side, what happens then is then the Gentiles become proud of their position because those, um, those elitist Jews were jerks and the Gentiles knew not to be jerks. And so they had hostility, enmity between them. And so Paul writes this letter in house arrest. He's in prison in Rome because according to Acts chapter 21, he had allegedly taken uh, Gentile believers with him into the Jewish courts. They'd gone through the wall, the dividing wall of hostility, and Paul had taken them there. And Paul's gonna write this letter with this, this temple still existing. And so keep all this in mind as we go into Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna be doing verses 11 through 22 this morning. We'll start chapter three next week. Paul begins verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. So the therefore takes us back to the beginning of chapter two and all of chapter one. Remember, the end of chapter two was, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, lest any man should boast, for um, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So Paul's saying, therefore, because God has chosen you, because it's by grace, not through your works, because you have no leg to stand on when it comes to your salvation, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... So at the church of Ephesus, there are Jewish believers, Messianic Jews, people raised in historic Jewish homes in the Jewish faith who had come to know Jesus and believe him as the Messiah. And then you've also got Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish tradition who have come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah as well. And so this is, the church at Ephesus is made up of both of these groups of people. And like what happens when you combine people from different backgrounds, particularly with different pride in their positions, you have um, some struggle. So he's speaking to the Gentiles, but this is a letter written. So somebody is reading this letter to the entire church. In the same way that um, you talk to one of your children, but you make sure the rest of your children can hear what you're saying to that child because you want them to hear it too, but more like passive aggressively, indirectly. Paul is speaking to the Gentiles, knowing the Jews are going to hear this as well. He says, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, so the biggest distinguishing characteristic between a Jewish man and a Gentile man was something called circumcision. Greg has done a lot of study on this, and he will tell you about it if you have any questions. Um, Greg, if you have questions about circumcision, Greg can tell you all about it. Uh, circumcision, again, a minor surgery in which the male's foreskin off his genitalia would be cut away, and it's symbolic of the circumcision of our hearts in the New Testament, taking off um, what... The idea was taking off what is bad, what is hindering, what is excess so that purity can, can rise. That's as far as I'm going to go with that this morning. Uh, so uh, the Jews would call the Gentiles the uncircumcision. This is a racial epithet. This is a racist term. 
And I love what Paul does because Paul says, if you're gonna call them the uncircumcision, what does that make you, the circumcision? Because that's so cool. So then he says, called, um, was, was called by the circumcision, by the Jews, which is made uh, by the flesh, in the flesh by hand. So he's saying this is something done uh, by the hand. Keep this in mind, in the flesh by hands. We'll come back to that. Verse 12, remember, Gentiles, that you were at one time, he's gonna describe their, um, their life before Jesus. You were separated from Christ. Circle this word, alienated, from the commonwealth of Israel, the wealth that was common. You were separated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, circle that word, of the, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So quickly before we move on, for those of us reading this today, 98% of us in the room this morning are the Gentiles. We, we aren't from historic Jewish families. We are Gentiles. We are outside of that. So we were separated from Christ. We, um, we were outside the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope and we were without God in the world. And then verse uh, 13 is gonna remind us of verse four in chapter two. That was their status before, but then verse 13. But now, this has all changed. You were once this in the past, but now things are different. Now in Christ Jesus, you, once, you who once were far off. That court of the Gentiles, um, the Jews would call them the far off ones because they were the farthest from the presence of God. They're the far off. You who once were far off and um, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Circle, underline that. They were brought near by the blood of Christ. Not by good behavior, not by church attendance, not by memorization, not by circumcision, not by baptism, not by speaking in tongues. They were brought near to God by the blood of Christ. And so quickly, to diagnose us as humans, we've been created. Here's what you, the faith that we have, the belief that we have is that we were created by God. And in being created by God, our hearts are drawn to God. Whether we call him God or not, whether we believe that or not, we are drawn to our creator. And we as humans, as you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as you've experienced in your life, try to create as many ways as possible to get back to God. Whatever that feeling is, whatever that euphoria is, we try to find our way back to God. It can be anything from working harder to get approval. It can be from the way that we look and dieting. It could be um, the likes that we get on our social media feeds. It can be um, sex and alcohol. It can just be trying to be good people. It can be uh, going to church and being a good quote unquote Christian, ways that we're trying to get back to God. We wanna get back to our Father and we become restless and worn out by it because there's only one way. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Inside of this temple is where sacrifices would have been offered and you would get back into good standing with God through the blood of other animals. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once and for all. He was the final sacrifice. The blood of Christ has brought us near to God. Verse 14, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He is our peace. This word peace, we think of peace and we think of quiet. We think of no war. We think of people not arguing and fighting. We don't know much about it, but that's what we describe it as. This Greek word peace comes from the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. Shalom is a very Jewish idea that peace is not just absence of war, but it's wholeness. 
It's where everything is as it should be. Jesus is our shalom. He himself is our peace, who has made us both. So here is where Paul, speaking to the Gentiles, out of the side of his eye, makes eye contact with the Jews, and he says both. By the way, both. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. So we see in his flesh again, which takes us back up to verse 11. The circumcision was made by our flesh in our flesh, but by the flesh of Jesus, we've been made one in his flesh. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this is what's called temple language. It would take all the Jewish believers back to the idea of the temple. And they know about the dividing wall of hostility. Some of your translations will say the the dividing wall, the middle wall of partition is speaking to that wall that kept the Gentiles from being close to God. They were allowed to get a certain distance from God, but not too close. But Paul tells us that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And the Jew says, no, he hasn't. It's still there. This is in the past tense. And Paul's making the point, hey, that, that lattice gate means nothing. It's outdated. It's been taken down. The dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, here's how he did it. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. If you know your Bible, you know in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So in quick reading, it sure sounds like Paul is contradicting Jesus. And I'm gonna go with Jesus. But here's just a rule of thumb. Whenever you read scripture and come to something you don't understand, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Paul's gonna clarify Here's how Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He abolished, he did away with the law of commandments, in parentheses, expressed by ordinances. That word ordinances is the word dogma. Or by a strict legalistic adherence to law. What Christ did away with was not the Old Testament law. He became it. He was the perfect expression. He fulfilled the law. Everything the law was meant to do, Jesus did in flesh. But what he did do away with was the way the Jews, particularly those in religious authority, were expressing the commandments through their ordinances, through their dogma, through their um, strict legalism. That's what was keeping the Gentiles out. It wasn't the law. The law wasn't keeping them out. It was what they had said needed to happen. Again, that's back then. That never happens in churches today. Uh, By abolishing law commandments expressed in ordinances, next phrase, that he might create in, in himself one new man in place of the two, so making shalom. He is shalom and he makes shalom. But there's a word in here that we're gonna have to talk about. It's the word new. In our culture, when we think new, we think an updated version. If you're going to get a new car, you're going to get an updated, maybe, car. It's still a car. It might drive itself, and there might be robots, and there might be drones, but it's, it's still a car. Like, it's still the characteristic of a car. You're going to get a new, the new iPhone. It's still the same iPhone you had five years ago. It just has more things, and the battery doesn't die quite as fast. That's, when we say new, that's what we mean. This word for new is completely brand new, never before seen. Like there's nothing of its kind. When you and I try to make peace, 
all we're doing is updating something we've already had or we're upgrading. So in our culture now, um, the racial tension, outside of Jesus, all we're trying to do is upgrade the peace. Outside of Jesus, we're not gonna have a new humanity. We're just gonna have a different version of the old humanity. We can do all the things and read all the books and have all the round tables, but without Jesus, we're just making a different kind of old humanity. Paul tells us that through Jesus' death, through his blood, there's a brand new humanity he's formed. And for the Jew and the Gentile, that means they're gonna have to leave behind some of their heritage because you can't bring in things that linger into something brand new. He created something brand new, a brand new humanity, Scripture says, taking the place of the two. Uh, Verse 16, it gets better. And he might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile alike, to God in one body, one man, one humanity, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What the Jews and Gentiles thought they wanted was just to get along. What they thought they wanted was to be respected by each other, to um, just be accepted by each other, to be allowed in. All the Gentiles wanted was to be allowed where the Jews were. And the Jews would say, sure, you can be where we are. You just have to have this little surgery. And the 35-year-old man said, I'd rather not. So the Jews felt like, what's your problem? We've said you can. What's, what's the deal? Well, because that's not actually what any of them wanted. What they wanted deep down was that the hostility would be killed, would be destroyed, would be abolished. That's what we want. That's what they wanted. And if I can speak to our culture, all the things that we think we're saying we want, we don't actually want that. What we want is for God to kill the hostility. In your family, where there is hostility because of something in the past or something in the present or something your teenager said to you this morning, where there's hostility, where you think you want um, things to be upgraded, no, 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 you want hostility to be killed. But according to verse 16, the only way that hostility is killed is through Jesus Christ's body on the cross. And here's why. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he did not echo hostility back out. He absorbed hostility. What he had hung on the cross and had every right to take what was being said to him and then turn it around and say it back to them. You think I'm a sinner? You think I'm a murderer? You think I'm a rebel? What about you? What about you? What about you? Then hostility would not have been killed. It just would have been perpetuated more and more. The way that Jesus kills hostility is that he absorbs it on the cross. So as followers of Jesus Christ, the way that we participate in the killing of hostility is that we don't spout off on social media. We don't make people know how right we are. We don't fight for the color of our skin and our heritage. We absorb hostility. The only way to kill hostility is through the cross. Verse 17 
And he came and preached shalom. So he is shalom, he made shalom, and he preached shalom to you who were far off, that's the Gentile, you far from God, and shalom to those who are near, that is the Jew. Here's what Paul is saying. The only way to shalom is through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. I don't care what festivals you've observed. I don't care if you've been circumcised or not. The only way to shalom is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that, uh, that applies to the Gentile and to the Jew alike. And this morning in our context, the only way to shalom, to peace with God, it applies to the irreligious and the religious alike. God doesn't care about your church attendance. He doesn't care if you know the Baptist faith and mission. He doesn't care. Do you depend on the blood of Jesus Christ? Because that's what brings peace. That's what brings peace, through the blood of Christ. Those who are far off and those who are near. Verse 18, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, near and far off, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And that's what we want. You don't know it's what you want, but that's what you want. That's what your heart is craving. Verse 19, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. We heard that before, didn't we? In the beginning of this passage, we heard these phrases before. The word stranger means foreigner, or one, uh, one without a country, one without a people. That's what a stranger is. The word alien is a, uh, a compound Greek word that means beside a house or beside a household or next to a family. In other words, it's a next-door neighbor. So Paul is telling the Gentiles, but also speaking to the Jews, hey, just remember, you're, you're no longer without a citizenship. You're no longer without a kingdom. And you're also no longer the next door neighbor. He continues in verse 19. But you are fellow citizens. Now you have a citizenship, but it's not with the Jews. It's with the saints, those who believe in Jesus. Now you've moved from being a stranger to being fellow citizens. And you've moved from being an alien, a next door neighbor, a house beside to members of the house of God, the family, the oikos of God. And here's the power, that the gospel doesn't just make enemies friends, it makes them family. In our human speak, in our fleshly nature, we would be content with making enemies friends, but God doesn't stop with making enemies friends. And here's why, you can stop being friends. The moment someone doesn't like the same things that you like and you find someone else to go to that concert with or go to the ball game with or go to the movie with, your friendship has been separated. But family is not built on common likeness. It's built on a common bloodline. Whose bloodline? Well, we just said, through the blood of Christ. It's why we can all gather in here this morning worshiping the same God, singing the same songs with a pure heart or a distant heart, doing the best that we can to worship him with what we have, even though we're across the political spectrum, across the racial spectrum, across the mask and no mask spectrum, we're across all of it. But in this place, in the household of God, there will be no hostility. Where there's hostility in the family of God, it's because you, we, I brought it in. We're family. Friends can leave. Family is always family. So he's going to continue. This family, this household in verse 20, though, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's rooted in something. 
Again, I think we've lost some of this in our modern church. It's this family, this household, it's rooted in something. Our church, Sharon Church, is almost 200 years old. Almost 200 years old, our church has been a presence in this community. And it was started to reach people that no other church would allow into their building. We have a heritage as a church, but this goes back thousands of years. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is what everything else is built off of. It's, it's the plumb line. It's, it's what sets the, the angles. It's what sets the standard. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You see what Paul's doing? He's saying, hey, that old temple with the dividing wall of hostility is dead to me. We have a new temple now. But I love how he explains this temple, verse 22. In him, you also, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. You, we, as the church, we've become the temple. We've become the dwelling place of God. We're it. And so the stones that he has risen up, Jew and Gentile alike, when put together, create a dwelling place for God. That's how God has intended it for us. Just as a means of conclusion, though, I, wanna, I just want to talk about this dividing wall of hostility for us. Um, there are ways that as the church, as Christians today, can mimic and behave just like the Old Testament into the New Testament Messianic Jews. And here's what we say. Those of you who are far off, I want you to come to God. You just have to be like me to do that. Now, we don't say that because that would be arrogant and that's prideful and nobody likes that. But it's what we mean. It's what we mean. The issue for us, and here's the big truth, for, I think, for us this morning. The gospel, in tearing down the, the, the dividing wall of hostility, has given us a brand new identity. In Galatians 3, Paul says that because of Christ, therefore, there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, man or female or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's what this means for us this morning. We are no longer American. We are Christians. Our primary identity, because the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and we've become fellow citizens, is that we are no longer simply American citizens. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and our king is the creator of the universe and we worship that king. So no matter how the debates, quote unquote, go, it doesn't rise hostility within the church. It must not because the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. We don't serve a president. We have a king and we become the dwelling place of God. It means this, we are no longer white or black or Hispanic or Indian. We are sons and daughters of the most high king. Now, does that mean you don't bring your heritage with you? Of course you do. Jews and Gentiles did. And Paul didn't say, hey Jews, you can no longer do the festivals. He said, hey, do them, they're great, but don't force it upon anyone else. God loves the melting pot. God loves the mosaic in beautiful colors inside of his church. But your primary identity is no longer as a Caucasian male. You are a son of God. Your primary identity is not as a black female. You are a daughter of the most high king. 
And so when hostility rises up to defend an ethnicity or to defend a political stance, you are outside the will of God. Because we aren't called to defend God, we are called to delight in him. And it means this, um, you are no longer sinner, you are saint. We're all children of God built into a dwelling place of the spirit. And for those of us this morning who have felt far off, you can be brought near. And you know the ways that you've been trying to get back to God, to be brought near aren't working because you're exhausted, you're frustrated, you're anxious, you're depressed because it's not gonna work. I thought that if I did enough good things or hid my bad things, that God would love me more. I'd be brought near to him. It doesn't work. I have to depend on the cross every day, every day. Let's just do this for the next couple of minutes. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And we can't walk out without processing what God has done. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you came to celebrate Greg, and this is the first time you've been back in church in, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. We're glad you're here. Hope you feel welcomed here. At the same time, I wanna extend this to you, um, that that craving you've had in your heart is the desire to be close to the Father again. And you being here is great, but it's not gonna solve the problem. To be a son or daughter of God, to be in the family of God, doesn't require circumcision. It doesn't require Jewish faith. It doesn't require um, Christian ethics. It, it just requires that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God who died on the cross, and that's enough. That he paid the sin debt for you. And if you just acknowledge that you need a savior, believe that he is the savior, then confess that he's the savior, you're in the household of God. And we would love to celebrate that with you because we aren't the people who wanna make fun of you because we got to go to the gas station and you didn't. We want you to go too. There's candy there. Maybe for some of us this morning, um, we've created dividing walls of hostility and we need to repent. It's not okay. There are people who are far off who need to be brought to the Father and us erecting dividing walls of hostility based on ethnicity or political background or whether you're good enough or holy enough or pure enough, they're not working. We've gotta repent. So maybe that's you this morning, you just need to repent. God, I'm sorry, I've done that. I've, I've become proud in my position with you instead of delighting in you. I'm just gonna pray for us. Daryl will come up and dismiss us. There's a reception for Greg and Rachel and the kids next door, but I just wanna give us a second. I'm gonna pray for us. The altar is open, and I, I know we don't do altars anymore. It's so old-fashioned, but there's something, about, um, there's something about when our bodies move that creates something within our hearts. So I would encourage you, if you need to come and bring somebody with you, maybe there's hostility between you and a brother or a sister. Maybe get it solved today. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that your goodness often comes in the form of conviction. God, you so convicted me. I pray that you would continue to do that work. 
For those of us this morning who are far off, we wanna be brought near, remind us the only way to be brought near is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. For those of us who have built walls of hostility or keeping those far off, still far off, God, would you accept our repentance, accept our confession, and give us what we need to be bold enough to move forward. God, may this place, may our church, may your family be a place where those who are far off are welcomed. Would you build in us a dwelling place for the Spirit of God? And that people would be drawn to what we have when we experience those intimate moments with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.